The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. From before they were born, these two boys have been fighting it out, even in Rebecca's womb. And God said to her, there are two nations in your womb, two peoples within you who will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. This tension has persisted throughout of their lives. Esau, as the hunter, was favoured by his father Isaac. Jacob looked after the flocks and was favoured by his mother, Rebecca. And one day, you remember, returning famished from the hunt, he exchanged, Esau exchanged his birthright. The future inheritance and the, the headship of the family, he exchanged it for some bread and a bowl of lentil stew. We've been reading over the last couple of weeks, Isaac's gone blind and believing that death is not far away. He's asked Esau to go and uh, hunt some game and prepare a meal. And then Isaac would give him the blessing that usually went with the birthright. However, as we've seen before, in the same way that Jacob took advantage of his brother, uh, his brother's hunger, now he takes the opportunity and under the, the coaching of his mother, Rebecca, he steals his brother's birthright. And Esau is livid. The days of mourning my father are near and then I will kill my brother, Jacob. And so we pick up the story this morning. When Rebecca was told what her older son Esau had said, and she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury, until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I have, why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from the Hittite women, like these, my life will not be worth living. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Paddan Aram to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you the, your descendants, may he give you and your descendants the blessing he uh, given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner. The Lord God gave Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. And Esau learnt that, Jake, that uh, Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Paddan Aram to find a wife there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Paddan Haram. And Esau then realised how displeasing Canaanite women were to his, mother, to his father, Isaac, 
And so he went to Ishmael and married uh, Mechahalath, the sister of Nebohioth, uh, the daughter of Ishmael and the son of Abraham, uh, in addition to the wives he already had. And I'm reading this, I'm going, this story just goes on. It's one of those passages which just, if you and I were just sitting down in the morning and the evening, whenever you do your quiet time and you open the story and you read it through, you'd read it through and you go, wow, that was rough. And then you'd get on and hope something better for the next day. But that's one of the downsides of preaching through the book like we are. It's like this has been going on and on. And it's like this is the fourth week in the story. It'd be okay if the narrative was encouraging and uplifting, but it's like, really? Do we not have enough troubles in the world? And all we're getting week after week is the struggle and this tension and the strife. Next Sunday, I promise you, it will be uplifting and encouraging. And in fact, the Christmas series is uplifting and encouraging. And then I read, and I keep reading this passage, and I actually saw a faint glimmer of hope, and several faint glimmers of hope, as I read it through and read it through and began to prepare my thoughts for this morning. And I began to see that there were some significant positive shifts in this narrative. Up until now, it seems that Rebecca has done everything she can to favour Jacob with absolutely no regard for anyone else. And last week we finished with Esau holding this grudge. And Esau says to himself, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to wait for Dad to die, and then I'm going to kill him. Now he may have said it to himself, but he must have said it out aloud because someone overheard it. And they reported his threat to Rebecca, who had initiated the deceit. And now she fears that I'm going to lose both of my sons. She doesn't just fear losing Jacob. She also fears losing Esau. I almost wonder if until now, Rebecca has never really stopped to consider the impact of her actions on her younger son. On, sorry, on her older son. On her older son. Or on her husband. But now hearing of the intensity of Esau's anger, does something click in her thinking? Does something shift in her thinking? Esau knew that his mum favoured his younger brother. And now she's facilitated this, this deception that's left him angry. And it seems that maybe now for the first time she's going, I never realised the impact this was having in my family. And how deeply this has damaged my relationship with my firstborn. And maybe it wasn't until she heard how Isaac, her husband, had trembled violently when he realised that he'd been deceived. Maybe that's what it took for her to suddenly go, this is not what I intended. I hadn't realised the impact that my decisions and my actions were having in my family. And so maybe there was a little concern for Isaac, for his declining health, 
when uh, she proposed sending Jacob away. Think back to her mother-in-law, Sarah, when Ishmael had been giving Isaac such a hard time as young boys and was growing up. Sarah had taken the opportunity, I was going to say to ask, but really to demand, get rid of that slave woman and her son, Sarah said to Abraham. She didn't even call them Ishmael and Hagar. That woman. Get rid of them. So surely now with Esau threatening to take Jacob's life, surely she would have thought, Isaac, just sent Esau away while he cools down a bit. But maybe Rebecca realised that her actions had caused or at least contributed to Esau's anger. And that any suggestion of sending Esau away might further inflame the situation and cause Esau even greater offence and Isaac greater anguish. And maybe she realised that with Esau still around, she had an opportunity to mend a few fences and rebuild some relationship with her firstborn. And so Rebecca chooses to send Jacob away, far enough away that he would be safe, at least until Esau's anger subsided. Then she could welcome Jacob home again. It's encouraging to think that maybe, just maybe, in the midst of the mess she'd created, Rebecca actually took note of the mess she'd created and the mess she was in and realised that there was some opportunity to redeem something from that. She will pay a price for the choices that she has been making. If we follow through the story, we discover that this is actually the last time Rebecca appears in the story. This is the last time she will see her favoured son, Jacob, alive. She'll be mentioned again, but she herself will not appear in the story. It seems that she will pass before Jacob returns. Rebecca could have simply told Isaac of Esau's intentions and what she saw as the need for Jacob to get away for a while. But that may have only added to Isaac's anguish to realise just how much tension there was and how much his wife had done to create some of that. And this is not a bad plan. This is a good plan. You remember that Abraham had sent his servant to the very same place to find Rebekah and bring her as a wife for Isaac. So this is the kind of plan that's kind of worked out well for Rebecca in the past. And it kind of follows God's plan. And given the grief that Esau's Hittite wives have caused, sending Jacob back to, his fam to her family to find himself a wife was certainly one of her better ideas. Even if she does seem a little bit overdramatic. I am disgusted with living because of these two Hittite women. And if, she, and, and if Jacob marries one of these Hittite women, my life will not be worth living. Or maybe she actually felt like that. Maybe it had actually been that hard. But anyway, we have this apparent shift in Rebecca's thinking. Still trying to control the situation. But now at least giving consideration for the impact that her choices have had on Esau 
and on Isaac. And as I sat on this passage, I actually realized there was an interesting shift with Esau. Because we're told that when he was 40, he'd married these two Hittite women and they'd caused grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And now we're told that he marries another wife. But it says he realized how displeasing the Canaanite woman, like the Hittite woman, were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Naboth, the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. The first few times I read this, I thought, how spiteful can you get? If I haven't upset mum and dad enough by marrying two Hittite women, now I'm going to go marry one of Ishmael's daughters. But I'm not sure that that actually registered for him. I think he honestly realised just how much grief these Canaanite women had caused his parents. Now, obviously, they're still going to be on the scene. But he thought, I know, I'm going to do what my mum wants Jacob to do. I'm going to go and marry one of the family. Good idea, Esau. Just not quite the right family. There's some significant stress. But at least his intentions were right to try to move in the right direction. You know, as I'm listening to the story this morning, as I'm listening to the, sorry, the rest of the, the, the sharing this morning, Marik, Marika's story, Warren's sharing about Lance, it's like, they may not be the absolute best. You know, I've had Lance in my Bible study for a couple of years, until a couple of years ago. And I got a message from one day to say at 2 o'clock in the morning, he's sitting there with a couple of his friends, and obviously they'd been probably doing some drugs, but they were sitting there having communion. It's like, it's not quite how it's meant to be, mate. But God is doing something. God is at work in the midst of this. And maybe Esau's decision wasn't absolutely brilliant. But it kind of shows that even in his messed up state, as angry as he was, he suddenly realises how much grief he's caused his mother and father and tries to do the right thing. Isaac, on the other hand, seems he's uh, learned a few things as he's got older. He's learned to accept the reality of life as it is. What's been spoken has been spoken. What's been done has been done. And he's learned to learn some of the lessons that life brings and that God would teach him. You see, we remember that Isaac is not new to relational tensions. We remember the troubles he had with his older brother Ishmael, the stress and the tension that he grew up with, 13 years younger than Ishmael and continually being picked on and mocked. We also read a number of weeks ago what seems to have been some clear relationship problems with his father, Remember Abraham took him and was prepared to sacrifice him on the altar on Mount Moriah? And as we unpack that story, we realise that the, the narrative afterwards seems to indicate that following that moment, Sarah and Abraham live apart. And Isaac appears to have been living with Sarah. It's like Abraham was obedient and God was faithful, but Sarah and Isaac didn't quite see it that way. You can imagine that. 
father says, oh, I'm just going to go for a camping holiday with my son, and then son comes home and says, oh, dad tied me up, put me on the altar, and had the knife just above me when this, when this ram turned up in the bush. It's like, I could imagine that put a little marital tension. And then we find his interactions with Abimelech, where he's fearful of Abimelech. He's fearful of what Abimelech do. He says, so Rebecca, hey, just say you're my sister. And the tension that that brought when it came out that she was in fact his wife. And then we had the tension that followed as Isaac and his entourage were trying to find a place to stop and Abimelech's men would come along and fill in the wells and so Isaac's men would dig another well and the Abimelech's men would come and fill in that one until they finally found a place where they could sit and nobody was filling in their wells. Time and again, Isaac has had to work through relational conflict, including some of much of his own making. And time and again he has experienced God's blessing, provision and protection. You see, even when Esau married those two Hittite women, who have caused Isaac and Rebekah such grief, it still seems that Isaac was prepared to give the blessing to Esau. He was fully intending to give the blessing to Esau. The birthright had gone, that was done, but he was still going to bless Esau. At least that had been the plan. And of course now, having been deceived by Jacob, Isaac was still prepared for the blessing to rest on Jacob. Not just to let the blessing rest on him, Isaac was prepared to add blessing upon blessing. And he says, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham. This is like the blessing that he, was, that he, that he gave in the deception process was massive. But this is next level. This is, this is the promise. To Abraham. This is the blessing of Abraham now being passed to the next generation so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Rebekah, Esau, Isaac and Jacob, each one of them gets life wrong, some more so than others. But each one in some way is learning and growing in greater or lesser ways sooner or later. Now you may be the exception here this morning. Or maybe there's a few people here this morning who are exceptional. But most of us, and I put my hand up, we've made our mess-ups. Some more recently than others, some bigger than others. But it seems each one of us is also learning, I pray, learning and growing. we will face and we will have to deal with the consequences of some of their choices that we have made. I pray that we have the courage to do that. But I am again and again and again reminded of the truth of Romans 8.28 that we know that in all things, when we follow God's plan to the letter or when we completely mess it up trying to do our own thing, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It doesn't mean he intended our mess-ups, but his power is so great 
and his knowledge so inconceivable that he can still work out his perfect plan in the midst and sometimes through our mess-ups. And the lessons he is teaching us are preparing us for the things that he is going to place in our hands. When it says we are God's handiwork, it didn't stop the moment we were born. God has continued to this moment to work in you and on you to make you the person that he wants you to be for the tasks that he's prepared you for today and tomorrow. And God is continuing to work in us if we make ourselves available to him. I love seeing new believers learning to walk in faith. Marika won't mind me sharing. Before that I said, you know, after she shared her testimony, we're going to have communion. She says, what's communion? <laughs> okay, that's one bit she says, I'm amazed at her Bible knowledge. But obviously there's some gaps. We've all got gaps. We're all learning. We are all on a journey. And it, I love seeing you Christians. I love seeing, I remember Kim Lee sitting over about where Janine is. And we were talking about Discovery Bible Study and Kim Lee getting up and saying, and that stage she was quite young, she was only about 94, saying, I'm enjoying this Discovery Bible Study. I've learnt, I've seen things in the Word this week that I've never seen before. I remember that. We are all on a journey. We are all learning. God is continuing to prepare us for the work that he has for us. And so I love seeing new believers. And I, I love seeing the older believers of your generation and my generation. No, you're older than her. <laughs> See, I'm bringing multiple generations. I love the connection across the generations here. I love seeing people stand together and pray across the generations because we need that. I need to be encouraged and inspired by new believers taking their early steps of faith. But I also need to hear the testimony of God's faithfulness in the lives of those who have gone before. And we're going to testify to that now. We're going to stand together and sing of the goodness of God. Be encouraged. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.